This year's ballot featured 28 candidates with 14 newcomers joining 14 holdovers from the 2022 ballot. In arriving at their individual decisions, the electors took into consideration the following voting criteria. The player's record, playing ability, integrity, sportsmanship, character, and contribution to the team or teams for which he played. Tonight, we are pleased to announce the addition of one new member to the Hall of Fame fraternity who will be honored alongside Fred McGriff at the induction ceremony on July 23rd at the Clark Sports Center here in Cooperstown. A two-way superstar playing 17 seasons for the Phillies, Cardinals, Reds, and Blue Jays. Today, Scott Rowland becomes a member of the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And what's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Check Your Brain podcast here on uh, wherever you're listening to this on Patreon or for free on the podcast platforms that are available. My name is Tony Mazur, and with me uh, is a guest who's been on a couple of times on this podcast. And we're doing this late notice. I'm putting this out basically almost immediately as soon as I get done mixing this down because we had breaking sports news. And this time of year always drives me crazy because we get into the topic of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And uh, they announced uh, once again for the second year in a row, it's going to be one Hall of Famer. As you heard there, last year was David Ortiz. This year is Scott Rowland. And uh, with me is somebody who's covered, uh, basically is a somebody who I'm sure has racked up a lot of money on the Jersey Turnpike with the Easy Pass, going from heading over from Queens all the way to South Philadelphia, covering uh, the Mets, covering the Phillies and the Flyers and everything. And joining me for Sportsology, this is Russ Cohen. He's got uh, books available. Go on Amazon, check them out. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, talking about, uh, uh, of course, great, uh, you know, the Broad Street Bullies and everything. The uh, numbers don't lie from the New York Mets. Baseball's best rookies, one of the uh, great conversations we had, uh, oh boy, about two years ago talking about it. And Russ, uh, thanks for doing this. I appreciate this. Anytime, Tony. This is like a call to arms. <laughs> I just heard someone call Scott Rowland a superstar, and I can assure you, while he was playing, nobody ever called him that. Nobody. So, it, it, so I was watching your tweets, and that's why I wanted to do this podcast. And for years, I've been talking about the the whole situation of Scott Rowland, where he's a guy that I grew up watching. You know, all of us did, and somebody brought it up in one of the comments on a Twitter thread by saying, I never knew somebody. It was like somebody who was in like in their late twenties, maybe 30 years old it says growing up. I never knew any of my friends that said, I can't wait for Christmas because I'm asking for a Scott Rowland Jersey. No one asked that. And looking at his statistics, he's never led the league in anything. Um, nope. He had a, a good stick. He had a good glove. But mm -hmm. is that the criteria? He had just a hair over 300 home runs. He had a 281 batting average, and he made a few all-star teams. Uh, won a World Series with the Cardinals in 2006, but had a couple of mediocre seasons with the Reds and the Blue Jays. And uh, and then uh, what I want to ask you about is his uh, exit from Philadelphia. I remember the uh, I remember when JD Drew was pelted with batteries and everything. There was a lot of uh, situations in Philadelphia. Yeah. It's almost like this whole whitewashing. We saw it with with another Philadelphia guy in Jim Tomey who left for the money, and everyone's like, "Boo, we hate Jim Tomey." And all of a sudden, he comes back, and it's like, you know, that guy was pretty good after all. So it's all this 
we kind of forgot about the history of the the real uh, bitter divorce between the city of Philadelphia and Scott Rowland. So uh, take it away, Russ. Talk about this, What, why it bothered you and why the, it just really seems like this has become the baseball hall of very good instead of the baseball hall of fame. Yeah. So first thing is, look, eight gold gloves, terrific third baseman, very good player. No question. Uh, just as an example, for Jeff Passan, who, who said that Scott Rowland set the standard for the modern day third baseman. I don't know how modern he's talking because, like, Brooks Robinson set the standard as a fielder with the bare handy grab and the way he played third. Nobody had done that previously. So that's why he got in. We all knew he couldn't hit. But after that, it's like Nolan Arenado has set the standard. He's played 10 years. He's had 10 goals gloves. And he closes Scott Rowland's hitting numbers already. Now, granted, he played in some. He played in cores for a while, so you could take that with a grain of salt a little bit. But he also played with the humidor, so it did cut it down, unlike Helton, who had three years without the humidor. But getting back to Roland, when he left Philly, he said he was going to baseball heaven, and he said nasty things about the fans, about the media, when he left. He was not nice to Ed Wade, who was the manager at that time, uh, the GM at the time. I had spoken to Ed Wade a few times. He always took the high road. Uh, Roland always complained. One writer literally said when I told him they were having a Scott Roland night this year in Philly, he asked me four times if I was kidding. And I had to tell him I wasn't. Another writer called him a creep. Like, these are, you know, strong feelings about a, a guy who played here for quite a bit of time and was very good, didn't lead him to anything. I understand the Phillies were bad, but sometimes you've got to be the guy to help get him out of it. He didn't. So he wins one with the Cardinals. That's great. But there's no, like, Scott Rowland moment. Like, you know, Greg Nettles, we all remember, was the 77 World Series, maybe the 78, making three great plays in the field. We remember those plays. But Greg Nettles will never be in the Hall of Fame because he, you know, hit like 250. I get it. But he had plays in the field like that. I, you know, Roland always made good plays. He always made even terrific plays. But I never looked at Roland like he's a generational third baseman. I never looked at him like he's a superstar. Teams were not afraid to pitch to him. He never hit over 35 homers. He never won an MVP. It was a guy arguing with me on Twitter. Well, if I wore, is it? Listen, I like war as much as the next guy. But how about winning an MVP? I mean, something at this position at third base. I came up with five guys that are currently playing or otherwise that are, you know, contemporaries of him, and he gets in. So why did he get in? Did he get in because he's on the Cardinals? Are there a lot of, a lot of Cardinals voting uh, former Cardinals? On, I don't know. Uh, but I, it's just it's inexplicable to me. And his last six years were not good. Like, he had one or two okay years in those last six, and people were giving me absurd, I mean, just absurd, third reason as to why he should be in and it's like well you know he didn't finish out strong he had just over 2,000 hits 1,200 and something RBIs like what happens to the standard of have at least 500 homers 3,000 hits or 1,500 RBIs how about one of them he didn't get close to any of them yeah and they my criteria is especially nowadays when you you as you mentioned the 500 home runs, 3,000 hits, 300 wins, 300 saves or whatever, is that if you're not going to hit those, at least dominate the era. 
And I've said that about Pedro Martinez. Pedro Martinez didn't throw a no-hitter. He came close to it. He threw almost through a perfect game against the Padres, but never threw a no-hitter. Won a couple of Cy Youngs, but didn't hit 300 wins. However, he dominated his era. Think of a more intimidating pitcher around that time. Uh, Roy Halladay, same way. He dominated the 2000s of of being phenomenal. That He may not have had the, the 300 wins, which we won't see anymore. Um, if you were somebody who really, Larry Walker was an example that they put him in the hall of fame a couple of years ago. I had a little bit of an issue, but, uh, especially they're going to bring that against Todd Helton too, when it comes to Coors field and the altitude, but Scott Rowland was a, another one of those players that he always seemed to me of, uh, it, it, it's this new generation of very good hall of famers of the baseball writers. Are, play the moral high ground where they look and they say, we can't have any of the PED guys. So Roger Clemens, right. Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Rafael Palmero, they have to stay away. So, But we have to elect somebody. So then right. you're seeing the Jack Morrises, you're seeing Mike Mussina, you're seeing some of these players that under normal circumstances wouldn't be Hall of Famers, but because they feel compelled to put somebody in the Hall of Fame, they don't want to embarrass themselves completely. So they got to put somebody in there. And it, it seems like sports writers, and you've, you've been doing this for a long time, Russ, that yeah. sports writers have a lot of say when it comes to this. And if you're a player who did not give a good quote to a reporter, they're going to hold that against you. I recall here in my neck of the woods of Cleveland in 1995, Albert Bell had, is the only player, I believe, with 50 home runs and 50 doubles in the same season. Led the league mm-hmm. in RBIs, led the league in home runs, had a 300-plus batting average, yet he came in second in the MVP vote. Why? Because yeah. Albert Bell was a jerk. Mo Vaughn wasn't as much of a jerk. So the sports writers are saying, hey, Mo Vaughn gave me a quote. Albert Bell shunned me. So this is what you get. So when you talk about moral high ground as far as PEDs, where is the journalistic integrity with the sports writers where it seems like they're the ones holding grudges and and thus allowing, in my opinion, and it seems like yours as well, more undeserved players to get into the Hall of Fame because of their, you know, whatever their standards and, and integrity goes. Yeah, and I mean, look, and I'm not going to hide. I'm I'm a guy who doesn't believe the PED guys should get in there. But put in all the jerks you want. Albert Bell belongs in there. Jeff Kent is dominant at second base. Like, he's homers, RBIs. He's got Roger Hornsby-type numbers, except for maybe the batting average. And, and he, he's got 40%. Like, it's a joke. I mean... I heard a, a brand new writer the other day. This is what prompted me to write it. I wrote an article for full press coverage. Um, the other day he was like, listen, I'm a new writer. There was 10 guys. You can vote up to 10 on the ballot. I only saw six that were worth it. So that's all I voted for. And I knew at that point, we're in trouble the next couple of years. We're going to have some bad outcomes. And this is like the first really bad outcome and it's not against Fred McGriff I would put Fred McGriff in too I'm fine with Fred McGriff um but no Jeff Kent listen Andrew Jones I think won nine or ten gold gloves in a row had over 400 home runs he can't get in uh he's you know according to sabermetrics he's the greatest center fielder of all time so Hmm. you know he can't get in there's Billy Wagner who you know sixth on the all-time save list never I mean he in his, in his career, uh, 11.99 strikeouts in, in nine innings, but wasn't super fantastic in postseason, so he can't get in. It's just, you know, it's just 
I don't understand the voting sometimes. And I even had a Philly writer tell me tonight that he doesn't vote for a baseball hall of fame anymore. He gave up because he saw this starting to happen and it just bothered him. And he was just like, why am I going to do this? And he was angry tonight. Like there was a lot of anger about Scott Rowland and the Phillies are going to try and whitewash it and make it a marketing event. Yeah, it's no surprise that they'll do that. And, you know, teams all all do that when the player leaves and then they they welcome him back with open arms. And, you know, I saw that a lot with Marty Schottenheimer in Cleveland, but that's another story. Right, but, but I will tell you this. I asked three massive Phillies writers and fans at the game tonight, did you ever see a Scott Rowland highlight for all the time that you've been watching the Phillies, been at games, when, you know, after he was traded? And they said, not. Nah. One, nothing, zero. I think one of his biggest highlights was not even him. It was he hit a ball that was robbed by Andy Chavez at Shea yeah. Stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's here's yep. how the val- uh, the ballots uh, uh, in in the voting. So everybody, so for folks listening, the seventy five percent they had to go above that threshold. So Scott Rowland was the only one this year got seventy six point three. Coming in second was Todd Helton, just off that seventy five percent. Uh, then Billy Wagner, Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield, Carlos Beltran, uh, Jeff Kent, Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Omar Vizquel, Andy Pettit, Bobby Abreu, Jimmy Rollins, a lot of a lot of Philly representation, uh, Mark oh, yeah. Burley, Francisco Rodriguez, and Tori Hunter. And I find what's interesting is I think they, they throw a lot of these caveats. Like you said, Jeff Kent was a jerk. Uh, the, you know, there was an infamous blow up yeah. between him and Barry Bonds in the locker room. Of course, you have A-Rod and Manny that were tied to the steroids. Um, yep. uh, Andrew Jones, for whatever reason, he's been kind of shafted Gary Sheffield. It, that one never made sense to me because he actually does have over 500 home runs. He had one of the scariest bat flips of all time. Like he, you felt every time he was going to, he steps up to the plate, he's going to punch you. And yeah, but he's tied up with, with the clear and Barry Bonds. I put that link in the article and he, you know, he said that Barry told him to not ask any questions. So he didn't mm-hmm. ask any questions. Meanwhile, when he didn't ask questions, go look at his Dodger numbers for those three years when he trained with Barry Bonds. That's what's hurting him. That's true, yeah, because he he was a pretty good player when he came over from Milwaukee uh, to yeah, San Diego. Florida, he, he was great with Florida, but again, he had that drive to get even greater and, you know, took that risk. And, you know, unfortunately with the Internet, the Internet will tell you exactly what's up. And then, yeah, Car- and then Carlos Beltran, I wonder if that has probably to do with the Astros scandal and the banging on the it trash does. cans. It does. So, no question, it's- because, again, he tried to lie his way out of it. And, you know, as it turns out, he was one of the key guys. So, you know, it, it, you talk about the standards and everything. And uh, w- what I found crazy about the Scott Rowland meteoric rise, and I found this stat, it was kind of interesting the lowest debut percentage on a Hall of Fame ballot that was eventually elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. So in 1975, Don Drysdale, his first year on the ballot, had 21%. Then he rose as time went on. Then you had Larry Walker, Mike Mussina, Burt Blylev, and Duke Snyder. And then 2018, Scott Rowland's first year on the ballot, he only got 10.2%. How is it that in those five years, Scott Rowland went from 10.2% 
to 76% without playing a game. It's not like I've never understood that when you see players, like I remember Andre Dawson went through this process and Tim Raines and and the aforementioned Burt Blylevin, where they haven't played a game, but then they start to compare eras and go, Hey, maybe he wasn't so bad after all. But my opinion is if they weren't good enough for the first 14 times on the ballot what makes you think they're better on the 15th time so that that's another weird bit of criteria that never made sense to me well that's where you know digging for the analytics really hurts you um and and really skews it and again like you know if you're going to start talking i war and looking on a list and seeing how scott Rowland does with that yeah that's great but tell me how many third basemen he's better than that are not in the hall and tell me where he is all time. You know, I some of the writers laughed when I said, is Mike Schmidt going to actually introduce Scott Rowland on that night and call him like an equal? He's not going to do that. Nope. You know he's not going to do that. It's Mike Schmidt. This is the absurdity of all of this. And you're right. That general consensus that they had on him was correct. But the problem is, as I just pointed out, they saw a gap in the ballot. And there was, you know, with all these other things going on, all of a sudden it was like, well, there's just Fred McGriff. Like, you know, we got to vote for somebody. And everybody, you know, started voting for Roland. And it's like, okay, but he doesn't deserve it. And it's not, I don't want to downtrodden a good ball player. He was a very good ball player, but there's so many very good ball players that'll never get in. And so, it cheapens it. I want to make up shirts that say uh, Hall of Famous ball players now. <laughs> you know, it's 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 just it's not the same. It's you know, he, he doesn't deserve a plaque like next to Mike Schmidt. Like here you go, he goes, Mike Schmidt, Scott Rowland. Uh, yeah. you know, Willie Mays, Harold Baines. Uh, <laughs> you know. It's it, it's a great point because it, one of the criticism or one of the things I've seen when people have criticized this, they say, well, you know, he's, if you look at his statistics, he's a top 10 third baseman of all time. And so you start mm-hmm. to stack him up with Eddie Matthews, with Brooks Robinson. Right. With, uh, and you go, but he's like way down on the list. And this isn't, yeah. this isn't me using a recency bias. It almost seems like everyone else using a recency bias because they just remembered him a cup from just a few years ago, playing with Cincinnati. And again, I, I don't mean to trash the guy because he was a he was a good ball player. He was a good, but doesn't mean a good ball player should go to the Hall of Fame. Just because you made a few All Star games and because you won a couple of Gold Gloves does not necessarily mean somebody should be in the Hall of Fame. It, it, like I said, if and if you did not hit that threshold of those big lofty numbers, you should have dominated the era. And throughout the late '90s and the 2000s, Scott Rowland never finished. Uh, I, I, he, I think he was on the hall of fame or the MVP ballot four times. Once he was fourth in the MVP ballot, another, he was 14th, another, he was 20th and another, he was 24th. And if you go to baseball reference and it, one of the handy things they have is when it's a, a statistic is in bold, that means they led the league in something. So it could be bad, right. or good or bad. You look through it. There is no bold in his statistics. So again, he was a consistent player for a nice stretch from about like 1999 to 2006 or seven. 
Um, but again, if we're going to do that, what is the criteria going forward? Are we just going to put guys who made a couple all-star games, pretty good fielder, and then say, that's a Hall of Famer? And, and you mentioned Harold Baines is a great example. Harold Baines is a great hitter. But he ended up being a DH because he could not play in the field. He bounced Correct. around from team to team. He played at the White Sox, I think, 17 different times. And yep. I, I watched most of his career and never once thought when Harold Baines is stepping on the field, batting fifth for the White Sox or the Orioles or the A's or the Rangers. And I never once said, that guy is Cooperstown bound. There are some players right. you do that where, it, you know, some are, it could be like a Fred Lynn or a Dave Parker situation of where maybe they peaked pretty early. And then as time went on, they, they didn't work out as well, but you just, I, there are some of those players that I would watch and say, I never once thought that that person's going to give a speech at Cooper in Cooperstown, New York someday. And Scott Rowland, again, was one of those guys that a good player, but, I just didn't think he's deserving. And I, I, I'm afraid that that's going to set a precedent going forward with this Hall of Fame balloting. Yeah, it does seem that way. You know, one of the last things I'll say is, like, my criteria is, hey, was this guy exciting? The answer is no. Kenny Lofton was more exciting because he would hit the ball. Sometimes, you know, you might think he's going to get inside the park homer, might get a triple, stole a lot of bases, great in the field also. But he was exciting. Was I going to pay to see Scott Rowland play? No. Uh, sometimes as an opposing fan, you'll go in like to Cleveland and even if your team stinks, you want to see this opposing player like a Griffey Jr. or somebody because, wow, I got to see him play. I never heard anybody say any of these things about Scott Rowland. Did he ever take you out of your seat? Did he ever, did you ever, you know, if you had Twitter, would you have tweeted about Scott Rowland? Maybe for a play or two, but, you know, nothing major. There's no great Scott Rowland highlights out there. There's, you know, there's a couple, but there's nothing like that you would see on a reel where you would see it for the MLB network. And, and that's where it, it's, it's disingenuine to me when people throw around superstar now and there's these soliloquies that are being written on Twitter. And then it does make you wonder how much did you actually see of this player or how much did you go back? and watch of this player. Actually watch. Take away the stats. That book is closed. Now I want you to watch them, and I want to watch them compared to these other players that are already in there. It's, yeah, it's, that's what I'm concerned about, because then you're going to hear a Bernie Williams. You're going to hear Andy Pettit. Right. Again, they're good ball players. I'm not, I'm not denigrating them. It's just, Andy Pettit has the most, I think he has the most playoff wins as a pitcher. Yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's because they expanded the postseason in his rookie yeah. season in 1995. So I, I'm I'm not really going to use that as an example. Or when when you have some of these players that uh, like Randy Arozarena has more home runs than Reggie Jackson in the postseason. Right. Like, well, yeah, again, because they played way more games in this postseason now. So right. it, it just it it does cheapen it a little bit. Um, I, I've been to Cooperstown before. I'm lo I'm looking to go again this summer or probably in the fall. And I, you look through some of those names and I just, it's going to scratch my head as time goes on that. And, and, you know, I, I, and I understand the argument of not allowing the PED guys or Pete Rose or anything. I totally understand that, but there also has to be some kind of gray area. There has to be where yeah. the anti PED and the put everybody in, I don't care what they did off the field people. There has to be some kind of compromise where we can't just allow 
players who were pretty good to get into the baseball hall of fame. These are the hollowed grounds of Cooperstown. And I'm seeing players that had a 281 batting average with 300 home runs that made a few all-star teams. And if you do that, then I, then I'm afraid to see who else is going to be up there or are the baseball writers going to continue doing this where maybe there's one year we don't have anybody in there and we just have to pull people like Fred McGriff or Jack Morris or yeah. uh, all these uh, Ron Santos of the world of bringing the old school guys back where you look at their stats from decades before and say, huh, well, compared to nowadays, they're pretty darn good. Yeah, like, you know, don't sell me a Cadillac and tell me it's a BMW or as good as a BMW. Oh, man. Well, Russ, I, I really appreciate it. We, you know, uh, came back from the Philadelphia Flyers game and, uh, you know, and uh, uh, just everything going on. Where can we, where can everybody find you with, uh, with your work, with your writings, uh, whether it's online or, or books and where can we hear you? Sure. So, you know, Amazon.com is the easy way to find my book. Just finished a, uh, a basketball book a few months ago with, well, a year ago now with, uh, Rick Morris, you know Rick, our top 75 players of all time, mm-hmm. and a lot of other books. They're there uh, at Sportsology on Twitter, at Sportsology on Instagram, Sportsology.com on the web, as, long, as well as other sites. And, yeah, SiriusXM every Tuesday, and then come draft time for the NHL draft, a lot of different places. But, yeah, I listen, I love baseball too much. I was way too passionate about this, and if I didn't get it out, I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight. Well, last thing I'll ask you is that you finally have, we finally have a National League East where it's very competitive right now. And, you know, like I said, you're going back and forth between uh, Flushing and Philadelphia with seeing how the Phillies went to the World Series and the Mets have really beefed up their roster. I mean, is this, are are the Mets really for real? My friend Ken Ken Mosca is a huge Mets guy. And it it almost seems like every time we're out doing a podcast together, the Mets are signing somebody. So they have Verlander, they have Lindor, they have, I mean, the whole roster is just this uh, absolute it's hall of i don't want to say hall of famer because again <laughs> we we don't right. know yet but it's right. all-star after all-star nearly at every position are are the mets the real deal is uh was the phillies run last year was that kind of a cinderella story that probably won't be able to repeat what do you see going forward well it's a team similar to mr burns's all-star team on the simpsons but uh we have to see if justin verlander can pitch well in october when it's cold and, you know, he's into his 40s. And even Max Scherzer, you know, flamed out a little bit last year in the playoffs. He's a little younger. How's he going to look? Those two are key. How they manage their innings and how they finish up the season are really going to be the big keys for the team uh, without Jacob DeGrom now. It's amazing that the, I mean, the Mets just, they, they, I mean, they have an owner that's going to shell out that kind of money. And it's, I think they've even spent more than than the Yankees right now, I believe. They have. Goodness gracious. Well, Russ, thank you so much. Sportsology, find him on Twitter, find him all over the place. He does great work. And uh, if you're a hockey guy or a baseball guy, he's, he really is the go-to guy. Like whenever I see something happening in the NHL, he's the guy I run to his Twitter to see what he's talking about and what he's got going on. So Russ, thanks for doing this on short notice. I'm looking forward to putting this out right now. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, well, you know, I, I believe a lot of other people feel the same way, but it, I guess it's a fun spirited argument when we get to this. Yeah. Hot sto- this it, There's not much to talk about in the off season, but it's something I can no. finally feel that it, as the weather will eventually get warmer. It's one thing where I can start to think about summer as uh, I'm, we're preparing for a winter storm here in Ohio. <laughs> 
Yeah, good luck with that. Well, take care now, Russ. I appreciate it. You too, Tom. Thanks.